On this week's episode, we talk to John Hasty of the band Nonagon. This is The Operative. I'm your host, Chris Williams. Thank you for having me. Uh, so to start off, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, who you are, what band or band or bands you are sure. a part of? Sure. Um, my name is John Hasty, and I uh, the band I currently play in is called Nonagon. Uh, we're based out of Chicago. We've been together, if you can believe it, since I think 2003. Um, I said that right when you were taking a drink because I was totally expecting a spit take at, at that moment. I mean, for a band that has only had like, you know, two and a half, three records, that's a really long time to have been around. Um, but um, yeah, um, live in Chicago. Um, I also have a secondary little music project with um, uh, Christy, who's the woman who is nice enough to marry me. Um, we call ourselves Sneeps. Um, it's mostly a, it's mostly a, a uh, cover project um, but we have written a couple of original songs as well and that's pretty much me and what do you do I mean aside from the band oh uh, I work in publishing was that the question like what do I do yeah, to, yeah to sorry because I, I I think your job's really cool so <laughs> <laughs> it is really cool it is really cool I, I am a uh, I'm a sales rep which doesn't sound cool but I'm a sales rep for uh, a publisher um, for uh, Random House Publishing, which basically means that my job is to read books and then talk about them with independent bookstores, um, which is a really cool job. And of course, there's some bullshit that comes along with that. But I've given all of my friends have an open invitation that if I ever really start complaining about my job, they're allowed to punch me in the neck. <laughs> that's like the that's the standing the standing offer. <laughs> Because it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, so basically, I travel around the Midwest, going from independent bookstore to independent bookstore. Although that's different, obviously, in our current world order. Um, mostly, I'm doing it over the phone and internet, and like zooming and stuff right now. But um, I go from bookstore to bookstore, selling books into the bookstores, and it's great. It's a great job. Uh, so you wanted to talk about naked Reagan? Yes, I pretty much always want to talk about naked <laughs> which is pretty intimidating because i've been listening to the podcast i think i told you i was listening to dixie talking about genesis and i was listening to dylan talking about leonard cohen and like you know it's like all these kind of deep-seated connections and talking about the artery and i'm gonna talk about naked ray gun <laughs> which is an amazing band one of the best bands that ever existed but they're basically like a four chord like you know uh punk bands that um you know like listening to dylan talk about his connection to leonard cohen lyrics that's not going to happen in this conversation <laughs> <laughs> i will say that i still listen to them pretty regularly and i think it stands up like i mean i don't have it's not the kind of thing where it's like Oh, you have to remember it's of its time or whatever. Like I think this, I think, like if you were to put on Throb Throb or All Rise um, today, you would be blown away. I mean, I I I I honestly feel like that. I mean, maybe maybe that's me being a little bit like kind of nostalgically myopic, but um, but I don't think so. I think those records just hold up. They're just super solid records. So uh, when did you first come across Naked Rayon? 
Yeah. Um, I'm going to back it up a little bit. I was a huge fan of music for as long as I can remember. But living north of Chicago in an industrial town that was like, you know, an hour and a half north, um, didn't have great record stores or whatever. And so I was pretty much at the, you know, at the mercy of whatever FM or AM radio even at that point was throwing me. And what I kind of latched onto at that point was pretty much like Rush. Um, I was a huge Rush fan. I don't think I had a piece of denim that didn't have like the Rush star, like, you know, kind of sharp beat onto it, you know, kind of thing. Um, and um, I really liked a lot of like super complicated music or thought I did. Um, uh, and, and so, you know, I was primed, like, you know, the, the punk rock awakening, like I was primed for that. Like, I mean, there has never been a dude in the world who was more ready for, for the barn doors to be blown open. Right. And so I'm in high school and I'm one of basically kind of two kind of skateboarders at our, at our high school. Um, and so, and I think we're talking and I just like, I just started like listening to like the early U2 records because I mean, they were coming out. Like, I mean, I, I just bought, you know, U2's War. And so that was like one of my first kind of like, like moving into like more interesting or at the time was considered like, you know, more alternative music or whatever. And I bought like a Sex Pistols record, and thought oh, this is pretty cool, but it didn't shock me the way I thought it was going to shock me. And I was becoming a big fan of The Clash and things like that. But then in high school, sophomore year of high school, we're talking like 1984, um, I had the opportunity um, with this other guy who had a car. He said, hey, I'm going to Chicago to see a show. Do you want to go? And I quickly thought of what lie I was going to tell my folks. And we, we went. And it wasn't Naked Ray Gun. It was a band called, a local band from Chicago at the time called ID Under, like ID, like identification card, ID Under. And they were playing at this little club called the Igloo. And I just remember that being like the most, like that's when the barn doors just blew open. Like I was just like, oh my God, right? I mean, that was the day where I like stopped, you know, playing Rush songs on a guitar, on a, on a tennis racket, you know, like with my headphones on, you know, and was like, oh, I think I got to get a guitar. Like that was, that was then. And, um, uh, and then I think the very next show that he and I went to um, was Naked Ray Gun at the Cabaret Metro in Chicago. And that, and, you know, and if that first step was the barn doors being blown open, that next step was the barn being just er like eradicated. Like it was just like, it was the most magical, amazing thing I had ever been to. And I was, and I instantly became just a mega fan. I think while I was in high school, I probably saw them. And keep in mind, I had to like either, you know, I had to borrow a car, beg, borrow a ride, or take the train sometimes down to Chicago. Um, you know, I lived an hour, hour and a half away. And it was a big deal to come up with the lie, you know, figure out, you know, why I was going to be home past my curfew, like, you know, where I was going to tell my folks I was going to be, like the whole thing. And I still managed to see Naked Reagan, I think, maybe like 15 or 16 times while I was in high school, <laughs> because they were playing all the time. They were playing all the time. And every show was perfect. Every show was amazing. Um, they were just a, a powerhouse of a band. And so... Um, so yeah, I immediately bought 
I think that All Rise, which I think is their second full length record, had just come out. And, uh, and I bought that, loved it enough that I think probably the very next day, or my very next trip back to Chicago, I went to, back to Wax Tracks Records and I bought Throb Throb, which was the previous, the previous record. And I probably listened to them until, they, until you could see through them. You know, like, I mean, just like the needles just dug deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, and yeah, they were just the, it was the best, the best. You started like getting, because of them, you started playing more music? I actually didn't, was not playing music then. I mean, I knew, I knew I had to, um, but my, um, I've got, this may be a story for a whole different podcast, but um, my household had a very complicated relationship with rock and roll. <laughs> my dad had been like a big rock and roll fan when he was younger. My mom, not so much. She was just very much into musical theater. But my mom had a baby brother who was a sound engineer. And in fact, was Cheap Tricks, like road guy for a long time. And, um, and he was living with us. Like, because my mom's parents died while he was still young. And he didn't have any place to live. So he, he ended up living with us for a long time. So he had this double life where he would live in our house, but he worked nights. You know, he was always going to Chicago to, to, do, to, to run sound on shows. He had this big panel van that had like his entire PA and lighting you know, thing in it. And he was like doing some pretty big shows, I guess, at the time. And, you know, the big joke was my mom, like when she wanted to get his goat, would send us down to his basement bedroom to jump on his bed to wake him up, you know, even though like he had been, you know, working all night or whatever. But he was just the sweetest man ever. Um, I mean, kid ever, really. Uh, and he would like play stuff for us all the time on like his amazing reel-to-reel like tape setup that he had down there and like all this stuff. So, you know, I became a fan of like Cheap Trick and The Who and all that stuff. All that stuff was kind of happening in our house. But he was murdered. And so um, uh, he, he, was, um, he was dating a woman who was very complicated. Uh, they got married. She had, he had adopted her daughter. Uh, you know, they, you know, become her, his, her official guardian parent. Um, and then the mother kind of slipped off the rails and there was going to be a divorce. And it actually looked like my uncle Michael was going to get the kid in the divorce, even though it was her biological kid. And, and he was found in a car with a shotgun blast in his in his chest so um yeah so so at that point rock and roll was not an option in my household so, yeah. so my, like at one point i had like an ibanez like les paul knockoff that i like um oh it, was, it had been uncle mike's i found it in the basement and i was tooling around on it and my mom saw me tooling around on it and she immediately sold it to a neighbor kid like you know and it was so it was like oh well apparently that's not going to happen under this roof so I didn't actually pick up a guitar until I was in college. Um, so I just spent all that time going to shows, you know, which, and, which ended up being, you know, doing the research. You know, I spent yeah. basically like the three or four years of, of high school doing the research that then allowed me to pick up a guitar and like, you know, play my first power chords or whatever, you know, so. so uh, 
so yeah, so I mean, no, that's it. That's just it. Like, I mean, I was, I was just, you know, going to every show I possibly could at that point. I mean, I saw so many great shows. Like I saw Who's Do in 86. I saw like, um, you know, uh, I saw a lot of terrible hardcore bands, actually. Just a lot of super terrible hardcore bands. But I always had a blast. It was just this amazing, this amazing thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was, it was all pretty much just setting the table for what I hoped would eventually happen, which kind of did end up happening. So were you able to, to um, like seeing Naked Reagan and listening to the albums and stuff, it, using that as research or some sort of, was, were you, you were using that as some sort of template for when you actually did start playing music and... Oh yeah, no, and I think I still do. I mean, so I mean, the thing about Ray Gun for me, and and I think this is still true, is that, and I was listening to all kinds of punk rock, you know, at the time, and it was a time. Let me tell you about back in the old days, youngin. But no, it was it was a time. It was a time where you know, for example, not that I saw the Minutemen, but the Minutemen would share a bill with the Cro-Mags. You know what I'm saying? Like it was like I mean, it was like. I don't know if the actual bill ever happened. Actually, the timeline might be wrong there, but it was very different bands were always playing with other very different bands. Like, and then when the hardcore thing started, it all became super kind of codified, you know, and, and, um, and hardcore shows became one thing and, you know, punk rock shows became another thing. Ray Gun scratched my loud and fast itch, but also my pop itch. I mean, they are, these are sing-along songs. These are riff heavy songs like that, that just, you know, hooks that just get caught in your head. Um, you can't help but sing along. Um, you know, it was also a time when, um, I mean, after the show, you would have to like duck out so that you wouldn't get in a fight with the skinhead Nazis that were waiting for everybody to come out of the show. I mean, it was Chicago it was like, that's, that's what it was. Like, seriously, like <laughs> knowing that I had to drive back to Waukegan <laughs> the last note would hit and I'd be like, we got to go now because we would walk out and we'd be the first people out and we would see the Nazis, like the skinhead Nazis with their swastikas on their t-shirts and everything kind of like on the other side of the street. And we would take a hard turn left and find our car as soon as we could because, and then we would look back and we would see the, like the sharps, like the anti-skinhead punks would just come out and there would be a brawl in the street. (laughs) It's like, it was a semi-regular occurrence, but I was like, nope, let's, like, let's get the hell out of here right now. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine, like, you know, I was in enough trouble getting home after curfew already. If I'd come home with a swastika spray painted on my, my dad's Toyota Tercel, that would have been a problem. That would have been a real problem. Um, but, uh, uh, but yeah, oh, so yeah, so I'm sorry. So Reagan would scratch that loud and hard itch, but also the melodic and the and the um, the sing along and all that stuff. And I, that's, I mean, I still strive for that. Like, I mean, that's, um, you know, that is, they are the template for me. You know, I mean, things got more um, intricate and complicated for me in terms of my taste. Like, I probably moved away from Naked Reagan. Basically, I think like after 1980. I don't know, like maybe after 1986 or 87, because at that point, 
Uh, it was probably like 88 or 89. Because at that point, you have Fugazi is happening, and they're doing something new with the form that was turning my head. You had Jawbox happening. You had, like, you know, Jehu happening a little bit later than that. And these are all kind of, like, things that I, like, oh, that's that's the thing I kind of want to chase now. Jesus is right. That's the thing. You know, not I, I, not I want to sound like that, but, you know, the, the template was affected by these other things that, that would turn my head as time came. But Raygun, yes, always probably the base level for me. Like, no question. No question. So are they, it's a, because I'm not familiar with it and because I, I guess my limited experience uh, with uh, musicians in the Midwest, usually through the, uh, uh, it's usually framed by the, that, like the group of friends that we are a part of. So mm -hmm. to me, I, I assume that like everyone that listens to rock music and independent music in the Midwest uh, loves Naked Ray Gun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I under I think I operate under that assumption as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I don't know. I've never, I, you know, I haven't really I haven't really tested that. You know, I mean, I've, you know, I think it's just been one of those unspoken things. Like, if I know you, and you're of a certain age, and you grew up in the Midwest, I don't even have to ask you if you love Naked Ray Gun because I'm sure you do. <laughs> That's it. Well, so, okay. So, so, so. I mean, it's, it may not be true at all, but I like, you know, if you don't, I kind of don't want to know that. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so I guess my, uh, so they, they aren't a band that you've necessarily had to sell people on over the years or anything. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever really tried. I mean, it's one of those I mean, that's the thing about them for me. They had a, they had a huge fan base in Chicago. I mean, just like every show was packed. I remember I went to, a, I went to one rig on show with my friend Paul and we were always like in the middle of it. Like, we were always in the circle, you know, the circle skipping, which is what the slam bands kind of, you know, every once in a while we go, we think we're really cool. We go against the tide and like, Oh no, they're the skinheads. Let's stay away from them. Let's go back over here. And, um, I, um, but there was always that crush at the front of the stage, right? Where the, you got the circle going around behind you and you got the people where, you know, it's like five or six, maybe sometimes 10 people deep. And it's just so packed that, and I was a smaller person then. And I would just, I would lift my feet off the ground and I'd stay there. <laughs> like I wouldn't, I was so packed in that I could just like, I could lift my feet up and not sink, you know, like, cause everything was so packed. So they had this huge fan base shows were always super packed. Um, and I don't think I ever really tried to sell them to anybody. A, like I said, I don't earlier, I don't think they needed my help. B, it was kind of mine. You know what I'm saying? Like that was like, um, it was like one of those things where I felt like I just kind of understood it on such a deep level that I'm not sure I could let you know, you know, what, what that was about. And, and before you started recording, we actually had two moments like that um, about each other's bands, actually, <laughs> which was really nice. But, um, but yeah, it's just, it was one of those things where it's like, what I'm seeing here is speaking to me in such a way that A, 
nobody else could possibly understand it as well as I'm understanding it right now. And B, um, I don't have the language to tell you how I feel about it right now. So I think that the only selling I ever did of Naked Raygun was to pretty much be listening to them 24-7 when my friends were around and, you know, and hope that they would say, oh, what is this? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, you said that, that uh, you know, you kind of grew away from them or, or not grew away from them, but, you know, as, as your tastes changed and as things, different things became available that interested you, you kind of latched on. Um, is it, it's Naked Reagan, you, you said, is still something that you will listen to, that you'll still put on? Yeah, yeah. No, I think the records, I mean, especially those first, um, well, Throb, Throb, and All Rise, I, can't, I still can't believe, I think those records came out within the same calendar year. I think they came out, they both came out in 1985, maybe 84, 85, but still, like, in a 12-month period, I can't think of like another one-two punch like that. I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable to me, like the energy and the creativity these, these guys had and just the momentum, just absolutely incredible. Um, but um, yeah, I, I did actually, so they had a, the, I, I think they had a record, I think Jettison was a record that came out right after All Rise. And it was great, but it was never going to touch me the way All Rise did. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's that, you only have that first thing once, you know. And, um, and then after that, I think they put out a record called um, Understand? Question mark. And to my great shame, I was, and this is a dark, this is a dark story for John Hasty to be telling right now, but um, I was reviewing records for the Daily Illini, the, the um, University of Illinois. Uh, newspaper back when it, there was still a newspaper and thankfully um, it's not online and <laughs> because I wrote so many terrible reviews I was I had no idea what I was doing I was the worst but I thought I was done with Naked Reagan and had moved on to I don't know at that point I guess it probably would have been like 1989 at that point I'm thinking I'm smarter than Naked Reagan or something and that record came out and I gave it a one word review and it was just a, a bunch of Z's, Z, 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 Z. And I listened to that record and I was like, it was a good record, John, what the fuck, man? <laughs> like, I was a dick, I was a dick. What a terrible thing to have done. Oh my God. But I was like, you know, trying to, trying to, you know, make my bones or be cool or whatever. I don't know, it's a bunch of bullshit. So yeah, I guess it's safe to say that at that point in real time, we'll call it 1989, is when I had, when I had kind of dropped Raygun for whatever was shiny to me at the moment. And I'm sure, I'm, I mean, I'm terrible at timelines, but I mean, at that point it could have been, it could have been Fugazi, it could have been, um, oh God, you know what it might've been? It might've been Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> I told you this was a dark story. I told you this was a dark story. Uh, yeah, no, let's not talk about that. Um, but uh, yeah, that was a that was a that was an intense, a brief, a thankfully brief, but intense period. Um, yeah, um, but the stuff that has hung on since then, the Jesus lizards, the Jawbox, the Scrawls, the um, Fugazis, um, you know, later on 
much later on Slater Kinney. Like those are the bands that, that, that I think have actually stuck in a way that have influenced the template that again, still laid down completely on top of Naked Raygun's, you know, bones. Well, so in terms of the, because I not being familiar with them, how, like, did they break up after that, that record that you reviewed? I think they, I think that they're, um, I think that they were still active through like 1990 or 92, but they are one of these bands that just will suddenly have like, I don't, I think they're, I think you could still argue that they're still an active band. Like they've had shows that I'm sure some people would call reunion shows, but they happen often enough that it's not, it doesn't feel like that. It's like, Mm -hmm. Oh, naked ray gun's going to be playing in six months. Should we go? Uh, yes, we should go. You know that that's that is always the answer because they again the shows were always great. Now Jeff Pizzotti, the um, the, the singer, um, I believe has Parkinson's. So when you see them now, it's a it's a different show. It's still impressive as hell because, but I mean he's he's physically showing the symptoms of Parkinson's, um, and and so it's it's a different thing. But it's like a it's still awesome and heartwarming and you know brings me right back. Um, and I think they even, and every once in a while, they'll put out a new seven inch, just like out of the blue, they'll put out a new seven inch and it's, you know, and it's good. And it's almost always good. So <laughs> do you, well, do you think at that point, like as you were transitioning or coming across these other bands like Fugazi or Red Hot Chili Peppers? Stop it. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, do you think that there's something that they could have done differently with what they were doing that that would have uh, pulled you back in that direction or do you think that you were just growing and growing I mean I think that they like I don't know if you want to call it formulaic or if you want to call it knowing what their strengths are and leaning into it but they're a band that really didn't change their formula that much and when you talk about Fugazi you know, I mean, this is a completely different conversation, right? I mean, there's a band that changed every single record or grew every single record or was unafraid to do different things. Naked Ray Gun, um, and I think you could probably say the same thing of like, you know, the Jesus Lizard or any other, you know, a bunch of other good, really good, solid, amazing bands, but they stuck a little bit closer to their core strengths and never, and when I saw that maybe they weren't interested in busting that open too much, I may have I may have gotten frustrated with them, mm. you know, for for that decision. I mean, I can look back in retrospect and say that no, they were really good at what they did, and why why fix what isn't broke, right? And that's and I think that that is actually probably the best thing, the best way to describe. I think that they're where they were. They hit such a high plateau so early that, you know, there's no shame in keeping that plateau for, you know, a decade or two, you know, uh, as far as I'm concerned. That's great. That's awesome. They should be able to do that. It's my failing that I got bored with them. But I never got bored with them. Every time they play one of these shows, I go, you know, so. (laughs) Oh, God, I can't believe what a dick I was. Wait, I think there was one other thing I wanted to mention. Um, And I can't remember exactly 
what it was. I was like, oh yeah, put a pin in that because I want to come want to come back to that. Um, uh, but yeah, no, it's not coming to me now. And I've spoken, I've I've talked way too much already, so I think we're good. <laughs> I think we're good. Um, so where can people find Nonagon and Sneeps? Um, both Sneeps and Nonagon are on Bandcamp. Um, uh, Sneeps just basically has one song on Bandcamp right now, so don't don't bother going there yet. We're gonna we're gonna populate that page soon, but um, but Nonagon has uh, you know we've got a few records up. Uh, recent split seven inch with the amazing Night the Symphony from from Cincinnati, and we are in the middle right now of mastering our new record, um, our first full length actually, <laughs> after only promising years. Um, uh, we're putting out our first full-length record, a full 12 songs. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Right. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Uh, it was it was a blast, and I'll you know if you want to do another one, we can do we can we can do Fugazi next. <laughs> well, hey, yeah, we'll see. Or, no, or no red hot chili peppers. Yeah, exactly. No, no one's picked <laughs> red hot chili peppers. So, uh. God, I, hope, I really hope nobody does. <laughs> The Operative is produced in conjunction with Radio Note. For more information, visit radionote.com and find all of our past episodes at theoperative.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening.